You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, there we go, people. How are you doing? 802, how are you? On this, oh, where I am, it's fantastically hot, glorious day. It's been amazing. I went for such a good ride, everyone. Um, I'm sorry, I just had to get that out of my system. If you do see that I'm filled and um, inspired and happy with life, it's just because of the sun. And I apologise in advance if you're in a place which is cold and wet, wherever that might be over the world or up north, I don't know. But um, yeah, it's been lovely down here on the south coast. So I'm in a great mood. Such a good ride, everyone. Anyway, welcome. It is the Sports Therapy Association podcast. We're on episode 55, which I think is a great number. It's much more monumental than 50. I love 55. Um, thank you, as always, your support um it's been great um seeing people joining us live we have the same numbers live as when we started if not more and it's always nice to see you live um but of course if you're listening to the podcast um then that's great you're always invited to come live you, you can do it on youtube you can come to the sports Levy association facebook page um but if you are if it's easy for you to listen to the podcast then do us a favor and just leave a rating and a review um that'd be great because it helps us appear higher in the podcast charts um and if you're on youtube you can leave comments comments if you do join us live or if you're on youtube then we can bring up your comments to our screen for example good evening becky those of you um watching live can now see becky's fantastic smiley face with i've had my covid vaccine on her logo um how are you doing becky right good to see you in the house sammy jack is here as well sammy jack says it's been beautiful up here up north too i know i was being sarcastic sammy sorry my wife's from wigan so i'm a I'm a, I'm a lover of the north as well whereabouts are you sammy i can't remember where you are is it newcastle i can't remember you geordie i can't remember We'll see. I'm sure you get back to me on that one. So, yeah, if you do join us live, um, then um, it's fantastic. But just getting the message out is really good as well. Last week's episode, I'm still been talking about it. I think I mentioned it today on my little post run ramblings. It was such an eye opener. Um, so thanks to Deborah Thurlow Rowley um, for our endometriosis special. It was such an eye opener. Um, and it was so just listening to Deborah's personal story. Um, and her living um, daily living with endometriosis and also people who joined us shared their stories as well and we saw from the sample here that it really is something that affects well as Deborah said one in 10 women um, and uh, the same sort of prevalence as diabetes and yet if these women go to the doctors that generally the advice seems to be well it's just you you just got heavy periods or just go on the pill or go and get pregnant or it's really really delayed and backwards and needs education um, and so once again, as soft tissue therapists, we fall in that responsibility on our shoulders to actually ask the right questions, because many of these women with back pain, with pelvic pain are going to come to us for a massage because we're often the first point of call um, for pain um, and we can help with that pain. We'll probably send them out feeling better. But as we know, they're probably get, that's not going to get rid of their symptoms a lot of the time. So. We need to ask those questions, put it on the medical park queue and um, give them an opportunity to talk about that sort of thing. Um, and then we can direct them. We are referral machines. We, that's how I want us to look at ourselves in the rest of 2021 and 2022. We really have a massive place working in healthcare um, because people with pain linked to rheumatology, male pelvic health, female pelvic health, hypermobility, they're probably going to pass through our doors before anybody else, maybe even before a GP. You know, because they just think, oh, I just need to lie down for now and get away from life and have someone just make me feel good. That's what we do. So, yeah, it was an amazing episode. Thanks again, Deborah. If you haven't heard it yet, then you can um, watch the video on YouTube if you like the video format. Um, or you can download the podcast 
um, on your favorite app. Um, totally up to you. Do please share it as well. We're such a little organization compared to everybody else. Um, so the more you share, the more chance we've got for the great speakers to uh, reach other people and people who need it. So if you do that, would be great. Looking at the rest of the month, obviously, I've got Chris Tiley looking there, slightly impatient now, swaying, probably thinking, how do I beat last week then my god last week was so popular but chris will be coming up soon we're going to do a fantastic episode on over 60s resistance training something i'm very passionate about strength training which you probably gathered by now um and then next week we've got back pain special with rob beaven the co-creator and host of uh, back pain podcast and then at the end of the month we've got um you can't quite see him under the banner he'll kill me if he really if he hears that uh, i've uh, hidden his beautiful face Let's get rid of that um, banner there. There we go. Mike James will be in the house talking about CPD, the past and the future, some big changes in sports injury fix. Um, and they're once again putting out some such relevant CPD. Um, a lot of the people in the room are moving away from, I need CPD for my hands. I need to do great further things with my elbows and hands. That's the future for me. Understanding now, probably you need CPD for your business, for your advertising, for your communication, for your education, for all of these things which actually make a business. Um, so, yeah, um, we'll be talking to Mike James about that. And obviously, as always, for the STA members, there'll be discounts and things for um, the fantastic events that um, Sports Injury Fix are putting on. So there we go. Still got a fantastic June coming up. So I hope you can join us for every single step. But for now, we're going to bring up Chris Tiley um, for today's episode, episode 55. And we're going to be talking about over 60s or resistance training for the over 60s. So without further ado, let's bring him up. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you? No pressure. It wasn't that good last week. Today, <laughs> yeah. Oh, everyone left. No, um, I'm really excited you've come here. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, it's a great topic. And um, already in the room, we can see people filling in. Sammy Jack has said she's from Perth. Then she says Scotland. Then she says Preston. What? Not Perth, Australia there. Is there a place to call Perth in Scotland? Is there, Chris? Do you know? Uh, it must be, yeah. <laughs> must be I'm, very well. I'm south as well. well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, must be Perth, Scotland. There you go. Um, so there we go. Right. Um, Chris, for the people who haven't heard of you, a few people have when we were advertising you, it was where we could see in the comments, it was like, oh, good on you, Chris. Go on, Chris. Yeah. All right, mate. It was very friendly, which I hope made you smile. But yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to specialize in this population. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, firstly, thank you for having me on. And uh, like you say, from last week, no pressure, because I've I've looked down the list of the names and listened to a couple of the, the previous episodes. And uh, yeah, it feels strange to be on that list of people now. So um, I think on that that note, I'd kind of say that I'm not uh, a researcher like some of the, the other ones you've had in the past. I'm, uh, I'm a physio who's qualified in 2008 um worked in several settings such as hospital uh, sports teams uh, and now in private practice um and i think through that i've like everyone tried to keep up as, as much with with the research uh, as i can and got listened to a lot of podcasts and been on several courses and sort of developed my own interest off the back of that and one of those has, has been is is the strength training side of things in in rehab um i don't know if you heard, claire mitchell's a kind of a big um sort of big influence on me uh andrew mccauley's another one in terms of the courses i did and uh yeah through that it's i've then through the people and the population i tend to see is the over 60s so i've ended up kind of incorporating it in with them uh and realize there's not much out there uh for them a lot of things strength training wise or, or resistance training i 
use the terms interchangeably, um, wrongly or rightly. Um, but yeah, it's all, all kind of geared towards the younger audience. Um, so, and a lot of people have never kind of considered it in their, in their older age. So, uh, yeah, it's been something really rewarding and something I'm, I've sort of developed a bit of a passion for. And I saw in the, uh, I mentioned it, I think, in the air that we put out for you, but I'm very interested to hear a little bit about your work with Paris Snow Sport GB. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I don't think when that was, so I started just after the Sochi Games, which uh, 2014. Um, so they'd recently got some UK sport funding and uh, I managed to, I'd done a bit of voluntary stuff with them before and at that point they got some funding for a physio, so got on board with them and uh, I went out for about two seasons with them. It's about 120 days a, uh, a year on snow, which was, was very nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, they said so we had uh, sort of three main categories with the disabilities that, that were a part of the team for both skiers and snowboarders. Um, so it's visually impaired. Then there's the sitting category, which is kind of your spinal cord injuries or maybe double amputees. Um, or more dense cerebral palsy. Um, and then you had the standing category. So that might be a single amputee, whether that be leg or arm. Um, and then you had other neurological conditions like cerebral palsy that could still stand and ski at the same time. Um, so fascinating. So my, my role was I'd be up on the mountain, mountain with them as medical cover, um, and then come back, do some recovery sessions with them, uh, and then start treating and, and, um, incorporating strength the SSC coaches uh, plans in with them and then uh, treating from there. So is that where you're, did, did working with disability kind of spar your interest in working with elderly or kind of make you think, I really want to work with people here who kind of are outside the norm of what we consider as normal health? I think so. Yeah. I think I've, I've always enjoyed teaching people who don't think they can do something to do something that, that they actually can and um and, and working with them and i mean i i've skied all my life and to to see the speeds at which the the guys ski it's they it's much faster than me um I, I never did racing but yeah i can't get down the downhill course it, like they can um so to see someone who who is visually impaired or is, is just skiing down on one ski on one leg to see them do better things than I could ever dream to do, even though I skied all my life. Um, it, it starts to show you, well, what else can people do? And, um, and what else have people taught themselves out of? And, and I found strength training was one of those. And a lot of the things that we also off snow, we've obviously incorporated the strength training in the gym. Um, and yeah, it was, if I can I figured if I can help someone who has a disability to do it, then actually someone who's just deconditioned there shouldn't be any reason why I can't help them to, to do that. Um, so, yeah. Fantastic. That's, that's really interesting. I like the way you've said deconditioned rather than old. Maybe that kind of like highlights the difference that when you do get somebody who is kind of over, why do we call the over sixties, by the way? I mean, is that a one thing I was interested in? That's quite a general, isn't it? Cause you're going to get some really strong over sixties. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just picked over sixties as a, it was kind of like a ballpark figure just to, to kind of give a rough guide but yeah i am a firm believer that age is is nothing but a number in it i know it sounds cheesy and, and corny but it's like i say there's i've seen for example the you've been part of the endure 24 um 
the running event. I don't know if you've seen that one. I've uh, seen it. I've been part of it, but yeah, yeah, I did it as a team. Runners there, yeah. So I did it as a team of eight. So you start at twelve o'clock on Saturday, finish at twelve o'clock Sunday, and there's a you just do there's a five mile loop that as a team you just do a relay and as many as you can. But there's guys that do it solo, and there was one eighty five year old who did fifty five miles in twenty four hours, um, and yeah, I couldn't again couldn't dream of that. But I say it's. It's not his age didn't hold him back. It's I think the people that can't do it when they're older. Obviously, he's done it all his life, but it's it's whether he's conditioned to do that or not. And um, I think deconditioning has a big part to, part of that. Yeah, I mean, in running events I've been to, I have seen it often seems we'll talk about this later on. But I think quite a I've met quite a few runners, particularly endurance runners, who ultra endurance even who picked it up when like a part uh, when their partner died or something, and they were maybe sixty five years old. And rather than crumble, they thought, I've got to pull this together. And with support, they've then started training. And what's the name of the guy, Foud Singh, is it? The 105-year-old marathon or something. He didn't start training until he was like, um, I think, 80 years old or 79 years old. And now he's like the oldest guy to, to run marathons. And as far as I know, he's still, I'm not sure if he's running marathons anymore, but he was doing amazing. So, mm. um, yeah, just not to give any pressure, but just that Deborah, Deborah from last week is actually coming just to check if you're any good. Um, after hearing about how that's Deborah is, um, yeah, she okay. she was the lady, <laughs> yeah, Demetrius special. Yes, yeah. So she's obviously coming in. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for joining us. We've been singing your praises. Um, he's he's fine so far. Yeah, not quite as good as you, but it's, it's been <laughs> yeah. it's been all right. Um, so yeah. Um, so and how's how was it getting into working? Because you work with let's get it right. You work with Mike, don't you, in Harbin? Yes, Mike Grice. And a long winded way. Of, I might have to you to thank for that. It's a, oh, really? I, I can't remember what year it was, but I um, I saw you speak at Therapy Expo, and oh, right. you mentioned Greg Laban's name, mm-hmm. and I'd not heard of him at that point. And uh, I went away, looked him up, booked as soon as I could, booked on his course, and uh, I met Mike there, and then uh, kept in touch. And then, due to my wife's work, we uh, we moved up to Birmingham. I got back in touch with Mike, and he said, "Oh, come uh, come work at the clinic uh, over here." And uh, so. Uh, He's created a great team up there of, of you know, he's osteopath. Um, and then we've got sports therapists, uh, another couple of physios, massage therapists, uh, SSE coaches. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, but I think I wouldn't have met him if I hadn't have, uh, been on that Greg Lehman course. Which... Oh, that makes me so pleased to hear. That's great. It seems so long ago. But that was the intention back then, just because you automatically assume that, and I'm sure you're doing it now, you automatically assume that everyone you've come across has read what you've read because you think, this is amazing. Everyone's bound mm. to read it. And yet there's still people I'm sure you're finding you recommending like Claire Minchel, probably everyone in here knows Claire, mm. but go outside of here. And it's like, who, what's who, who Claire, a woman teaching strength and conditioning, surely not. And yeah. it's, but that's what it's like in the real world. So we have to keep pushing these names. Don't we at the shoulders we stand on. Um, just saying hello to other people who have joined us live. So um, Louise Aker um, has said she loved it. Did endure 24. Yeah. Something on my bucket list. I'd love to. Um, eventually, hopefully, now that races are starting, come back yeah, together it's again. Great atmosphere, definitely recommend it. Yeah, Catherine, nice to see you here as well. Late to the party, don't worry, Catherine, you won't need too many points for joining us late. Um, Louise came back and said, as a team and solo and see the over 60s do solo is amazing. Yeah, it's quite incredible. Um, so let's move on to um, some of the obstacles that are commonly faced by the over 60s either ones created in their head or by the media or what do you think are some of the kind of misconceptions and how do we kind of get rid of them um i think some of the 
the start with the misconceptions is that obviously the the links in with the name of the with the blog never told to lift but a lot of people think it is age related and that they're too old to get started or it's it's too late to get started and that it's a, a young man's game and you might cause yourself injuries if you if you start start now um i think there's a lot of people who have been told whether that's by a, a medical professional or through the media or just through family but you should stick to something low impact such as uh, pilates or swimming or, or yoga or, or something along those lines and i'll just get out there i'm not saying anything negative about those uh, either i i think it's it's all part of a bigger picture um i i still advocate all of those uh, as well but we the more that we lose the exposure to to weight bearing with load and impact and things like that the the less we're going to be able to tolerate it um and i think the less you can tolerate the more the higher risk you're going to pick up injuries and, and niggles that are going to they could make us rest and then decondition more and then that's kind of where you start the kind of downward spiral um so how do you how do you, like i mean often with the younger population i'm imagining here i don't work with many older runners i've worked with a few mm -hmm. but they're just not your classic older person they're just machines and <laughs> they come running yeah. through the door asking for advice and help but when you're working with a population who aren't going to naturally come through your door i imagine they've already got kind of like barriers and lack of belief and that mm -hmm. how do you manage to reach out to them and let them know that it can be better and overcome some of the doubts they've got um I suppose there's two sides to it. So in terms of the the physio clinic side of it, it's it's most people are coming in with a pain of some form. Um and then you can do some sort of testing, whether whether it's a handheld dynamometer or you just do some endurance testing and, and find that they do lack strength in one side or both sides, or if you look grip strength another uh, a key indicator. Um you can start to see that the lack of strength may well be a, a, a contributing factor for for what they come in with and I, I think a lot of things that we do see in a lot of age-related conditions you can kind of track back lack of strength as, as one of the contributing factors and i say it like that because it's not the only contributing factor i know and i'm not saying that strength is a panacea to everything but it's it's definitely something not to be ignored um in terms of the the the, the blog i'm i've been writing is it's, it's I suppose trying to get out in front of different groups of I'm doing other podcasts that aren't aimed at therapists they're aimed at um other people who have an audience who might be more into gardening that have picked up injuries or there's a I've discovered there's as well as a, the mum blogs there's kind of the grandparent blogs as well um that looking for ideas and stuff like that so yeah it's just trying to find where people are and 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 kind of um just try and get the message out to as many people as possible really Let's bring up, I mean, for, for often it's useful when you have got clients to give them a link to something to read in their own time. So your blog and the ebook and everything you've got is a great source. I've just put it up on the screen. Uh, people listen to podcasts, obviously you can't see it, but if you're watching it live or on YouTube, you can see Never Too Old to Lift. Um, and um, it's a fantastic website. I recommend you all go take a look. A lot of people I know in the room have. Uh, but if you haven't heard of that before, there's a wealth of information on there, which you can, and it's all in a very friendly language and it's directed at the actual person themselves. Um, and also, um, if you click through their headers at the top, 
Um, there's a wonderful blog uh, of people's experiences and it's inspirational because I imagine an older person is going to be more inspired by another older person who's achieved something rather than some young. Definitely. Yeah. And that the one that you've got on the screen kind there. Muscly guy in a polo going, you could do this. So yeah, who have <laughs> yeah. we got there? Uh, so this is a, you could top of the heads chopped off there but it's um when you got on the post uh, the full picture comes up there but her name's uh, sue or um she's uh, referred to as super sue she started when she was 72 uh to start lifting weights so started very late she unfortunately had a bit of a sad story that she lost her her husband um to i think it was cancer and she had three sons and at the time she could barely walk about three houses down the road without getting out of breath and, and feeling exhausted. Uh, and she suddenly kind of thought, I don't want my sons to lose me to to something that I could have prevented. Um, so she looked for things local to her. So she's, she's based out in the States and there's um, a couple of physios out there who use a CrossFit studio. And again, they just specifically target anyone uh, uh, who's a, an older adult. And she started attending that and yeah, she's never felt better. She can... Uh, I think she's close to deadlifting her body weight now. Um, and yeah, it's, a, it's just a massive physical boost, but mental boost and uh, self-esteem has risen. And um, yeah, so there's a few other stories on there. I, I try and collect as many positive stories as I can through people who have started late in life. For uh, people who can't who listen to the others. podcast, um, just because you can't see the picture, obviously, but on her T-shirt, it says, if I can see it with my eyesight, lifts heavy ages gracefully and avoids cardio um which obviously the avoid cardio is is ironic but um hmm. yeah no it's great and she is definitely lifting there it looks like a couple of 20s or 25s plus the bar so it's like 70 kilos or something so yeah she's yeah. probably more than her body weight so uh, yeah fantastic and and you've probably come across some good case studies yourself and people who you've managed to help and i guess that's one of the things isn't it you really i mean you can make a difference with everybody but when you're turning around someone's life like that it must be really rewarding definitely and then one i had in the clinic it's it's great not having to to be a focus on aesthetics no one i really work with yes they probably deep down have would like to to look better when they they're looking at themselves but that's not the focus at all and um i had one of my patients who she couldn't she'd this last couple of years she hadn't been able to uh cut her own hedges in the garden um she had to pay someone else to come and do it and she just really irritated that she couldn't do it and then this summer or it was last summer she sent me the message saying that that she just cut all the hedges in one sitting without a break uh and it's something she'd given up hope on and the only difference she can account for is that she started strength training the year before and done it and stuck to it and, and kept to it for about a year um that's fantastic so yeah it's stories like that that it's better than just seeing someone who's lost a few inches off the off the waist or again i i think she did as well but that's it's great that she didn't come to me with that as a, a main measure of success it was it's what she's able to do that's brilliant having a tangible goal like that so let's get to the nitty-gritty of it and things like exercises reps and sets and and how many times a week does it obviously it very much depends on the person but um mm -hmm. does it different differ that much from what you would give a younger person or not really no uh i think I spend a bit longer getting to the higher weights and the in the hitting the failure or or fatigue at the the sort of the lower reps. So again, a lot of the stuff I learned off off Claire Mitchell was the the fact that the intensity that we should be working at is 
is to try and achieve muscle fatigue and muscle failure at at some point and ideally that should be within 15 repetitions um but if we're going to get more specific if we can get that closer to five repetitions that's where we're really maximizing the strength gains um as opposed to kind of the hypertrophy and the the endurance side of things but for someone to reach muscle fatigue at five reps firstly it's a very daunting thing because they're probably gonna have to lift pretty heavy uh heavier than they've ever kind of considered they would able be able to do and the body hasn't been conditioned to to deal with the movements a lot of people that I, I work with haven't ever lifted weights in the gym so yeah whereas a younger person who has a bit of a more of a baseline strength you can you can load them heavier a little bit quicker i it take take my time to to build up to that and, and some people can't even do the body weight versions of of say a squat or, or or things we're asking them to do so and i think that's where we come in as clinicians and, and therapists is having a better idea of of working at the lower levels and adapting things and and regressing some of the exercises so that you can get a starting point um and i think that's what we've been good at for for ages but i think what a, what a lot of people stop and forget to do is then progress them again um a lot of people find a safe place that they they can work at and they continue in that and, and whilst it's good they're active then they're not kind of maybe reaching the potential um mm-hmm. so yeah i think the intensity is important is is once you've got the routine, once you've got the confidence in the movements, it's it's building building the weight, adding the weight to it, so they start to hit failure and fatigue at a, a lower number of repetitions. But don't be in a rush to do it. I think um, I'll definitely people in this room. I'm pretty sure a few of the names I see there have, have done Claire Minchel's courses, and she just opened up another the academy. What's it called? The academy or something like that. Um, so that's open now. But um, for people who aren't aware, yeah, Claire Minchel is who I, I direct. I'm I'm teach people level three, level four sports uh, massage and sadly still on the traditional syllabuses. They don't even mention the word strength or strong. It's still even on level four, which is is supposedly where you can work with people who are injured um, and send people away with a solution and home care. There's no mention of exercise, whether they expect you to go out and then do a strength and conditioning that that may be it mm. but they don't even mention it so there should be there could well be a lot of people listening to this who are sports massage therapists who say well i never learned anything about strength training mm. but you think with claire's course for example that you've done do they give you enough to actually give you the confidence to set some home exercises or work with one of the elderly clients to to give them the confidence to start lifting to failure uh, definitely yeah and she's very much focused at at getting the level for therapists she's not She's not aiming her content at anyone who's who's the higher level. I think she does do some advanced stuff later on, but it's for for rehab professionals who are working with people who who are in pain or who who aren't at their best at that moment and, and want another uh, option. So definitely. And the other one I mentioned was uh, Andrew McCauley's course. Mm. Um, I was fortunate I hadn't heard of him and the clinic I was working at the time were hosting his course and I, I got one of the free spaces. And I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was brilliant because it was a two-day course, and the first day was was pretty much all the mindset. Um, it was, and it's another thing I've not mentioned is if someone is over sixty and they've never done any form of strength training in the past, there's probably a reason for it, and it's probably because they haven't enjoyed it. They might have had a bad experience in the past, and if you don't tackle that side of things and tackle their beliefs, it's hard to get the buy-in for them to to continue. Um, so he he covers a lot of the mindset side of things, but then he also, in the second day, 
looks at each of the movement patterns and gets you to work on coming up with some regressions and adapting it in in particular ways around what might be painful and then how you can progress it from that point so yeah there's a couple of good options of of, of things you can do and 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 i don't work with anyone high level anymore and even when i did with the ski team i was implementing uh the strength and conditioning coaches plans and helping them do that it's and i i i think again it's that scope of practice i if i have anyone who who masters the basics and starts to move into intermediate and wants to to go higher or someone who's looking to get back to kind of high level sport then they shouldn't be seeing me they should be seeing a, a an ssc coach um or someone who's trained to, to work at that level i'd much rather get someone from kind of the 20 percent up to 50 60 rather than work with the 60 percent and get them up to the the, the kind of 95 95 percent Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it's important, isn't it? But I think as a confidence booster for sports massage therapists who and sports therapists who feel they haven't done enough um, strength training, I haven't got the confidence there. Yeah, with a two-day course with the right person like Andrew or Claire, um, yeah, you really can get the do's and don'ts um, and then start building on that and getting your own ideas and getting creative. So going to failure is something which I think a lot of people handing out exercises don't even do with any age it's mm. still very much a three sets of 10 mentality which i know claire tries to eradicate but it's still very much out there three sets of 10 and people just stop when they get to 10 and then have a rest and do another set um when you do work with elderly people is it easier sometimes because they haven't got any preconceptions rather than younger people or other athletes come to you and they've kind of got this idea of what they should be doing in their head are you starting with a bit more of a blank canvas or not is that a generalization um yeah i suppose so i think i suppose some of the the younger population might have some exposure to some of the movement patterns and when you've got a higher baseline i think it's easier to to learn and it's easier to kind of create those neural pathways to to get confident with a a relatively good form and we kind of briefly discussed the kind of posture before we came on air and the the importance of of, a form and uh, Again, I'm I'm not kind of necessarily down the camp of you have to have perfect posture to to build weight onto it. I think if you start low, some people are never going to have that the perfect position with a deadlift and or a squat. And as long as you start them low and you in that position, they they learn to tolerate that, and then you add a bit more weight onto it. And yeah, if there's any that are horrific, then obviously I'll move them out of that. But the slight variances I don't focus on too much. Um, whereas a younger person here, I might have a bit more time to to try and build that in. Whereas sometimes there are going to be some restrictions of a loss of uh, range of motion that are going to be harder to work around but no generally i think like you say there there aren't the whilst there are misconceptions around the beliefs and that's where you probably have to put a bit more harder work into actually once you start the 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 movement patterns and they're not generally wanting to push too far too quickly it's me having to to encourage which i prefer whereas holding people back is often a harder job Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean it's interesting you mentioning kind of barriers to exercise and maybe if they've never done it because they don't like it there was an interesting i think it was in the guardian i think it was adam meekins posted it I, and i looked at it it was by um lieberman related to his new book about how exercise isn't it was the 10 myths of exercise or something there's some really interesting points i don't know if you saw it no, but um 
It's kind of mentioning that exercise isn't natural and the difference between exercise and movement and how sometimes trying to make someone do exercise, as soon as you mention it's exercise and you take the fun element out of it, then it just becomes a burden and people feel guilty and they feel that they should be doing it um, and that everyone else does it. So do you find that um, when you're working with elderly people, you are able to or have to kind of introduce the element of fun or make it something more functional, something which relates more to the movement as opposed to a squat, a deadlift, and that sort of thing? Yes and no. I think if you frame it into how it can benefit their life, not just in terms of the obvious we know that physical activity can help reduce the risks of, of blood pressure, risk of stroke and, and all those kind of things. Um, it, it more so personally and it, how it can strengthen the activities they want to be able to do and the relationships they, they have with people. So, for example, my I've got a 16 month old son now and he weighs just over 12 kilograms. And a lot of people I show a 12 kilogram kettlebell and they'll like, I'll never lift that. Like, it looks daunting. It looks scary. And then I, I mentioned about my, my son and would you want to be able to pick him up at 16 months? And they said, well, yes. And would you like to pick him up off the floor, which you might have to do in a, a slight lunge position because of, if you're in one hand and try to pick something else up and, and, and when you frame it like that, it then becomes a bit more interesting in the sense that you can see the benefit of of how it will improve their life. Um, and then if they can look after their grandson, it's going to strengthen their relationship because they can, like for when my mum comes down and helps me um, by looking after him for a, an evening so I can offer a late evening clinic at the uh, at the clinic. It's it, She loves the fact that she can help me out. And if she didn't have the strength and struggled, then she would feel like she's letting me down. And it, it's, it's how it links in with a life like that. In terms of making exercise fun for the sake of making than fun i i'm torn i always think like that but the the best analogy i can use is and i use for people that it's kind of spending money versus investing money for the future it's spending money is fun and in, in this it might be the other activities you enjoy doing like this some of the sports and the golf and the tennis is in terms of the strength side of things they're not going to build the strength they're going to they might help you to slow the decline um but it's a strength training that's going to put the the money back in the bank so that you can keep spending it for longer um because once you lose the strength you're going to reach a threshold where suddenly the the demands of tennis are going to be too much uh you might keep picking up nickels and, and injuries and then have to stop that and then eventually stop something else whereas the more strength we can keep the more and the longer that we can keep keep active for so i think You've got to keep some fun exercise in your life, which is why I say carry on doing any any exercise that you want to do is 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 keep keep it separate to the strength training. But I think strength training has got to be a little bit more focused on on what you want to achieve or resistance training. Fantastic. Okay, good stuff. Right, we've got some questions coming up. Um, before we do go to the questions, and obviously a lot of this information that Chris is uh, giving out, let's just bring this back up here. There is, um, well, when you said you saw there was a lack of resources out there, that kind of prompted you to to write this ebook, um, which I had a look through. It's a fantastic product. Tell us a little bit about um, how you decided what to put in there and who the ebook would be useful for. Um, so, yeah, when I started, so I was. I suppose given the gift of time with the first lockdown and uh, I managed to, to 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 write this in there. But what I didn't want to do was be too prescriptive. I didn't want to give people 
just a list of exercises and here do them or be a video of me doing the exercises it's i wanted to give people the idea of a, a bit of the basic concepts and a little bit of an idea of how to regress and progress exercises or how to adapt them around pain so that they can get started and then give them the idea of where to go from there because i think a lot of the messages i heard from people was that the reason they never successfully stuck to something because every program they found there was always one exercise that they couldn't do so if they they would then not do that one but then feel like they weren't doing it properly so they kind of just feel sort of petered out from there or because they weren't doing that one movement pattern that movement pattern became stronger uh, sorry weaker compared to all the other ones and that then caused caused them problems so um yeah so i put together it's about 60 pages um it guides people through an idea of creating like a 12 week program um that can be extended out if they need it to be it's again it's a rough rough guide there but it's 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 given that framework to to build off yeah no it's a great product and i recommend people to, um go and, and invest in taking it because it's broken down into probably everything you could possibly need it goes into the goals it goes into how to create plans um it talks about motivation and stuff like that so no it's a really good product is it something that you feel like you need to go in and change and modify or is everything in there kind of like going to last the, 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 the test of time? I think so. I think, um, I think with all the current evidence out there at the moment, I think it's, it's, it, it won't need adapting anytime soon. And especially as I'm not working towards the higher end of things where I think, yeah, when you're working with the elite athletes and the the very subtle changes will make a big difference um, as if I knew new things. But I think for anyone just getting started, wanting to learn the movement patterns, wanting to learn that principle of, of working to fatigue and and how you can build um, build up slowly and, and, and find the starting points. And then, no, I think that's going to be, a, be good, for, good for a while now. And I'm also working on developing it into an online course as well because I know a lot more people are... Uh, if it's anything like me, I'm better with podcasts and um, online courses. Um, I don't read many ebooks myself, but <laughs> I think it was nice to to get it down in paper first, and it's a good good re- reference point. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully the, the online course won't take me too long to to develop. Um, I still listen. I still. Uh, you know Paul Ingram? Do you follow Paul Ingram at all? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. I thought I was going to give you another name then, but I've still got some of his audio books. He doesn't do them anymore. I think he recorded them back in I don't know probably 2012 or something, but he breaks down a lot of his longer articles into, he reads them out himself. And, um, and I love them. I'll stick them on in the car just to listen through and pick up points mm-hmm. again. I think there's a, there's an area for that as well. Of courses, which are directed for people just to listen to, you mm-hmm. know, without the visual, but yeah, it was a good answer for your book. Um, it's good. It has got, cause there's a, there's a little bit of a fear now among soft tissue therapists who are most of the people who download this, that everything's changing. Now we've got kind of like, um, um, if some of the things you've learned are not quite evidence-based, but when it comes to strength training, particularly for performance, is the, the things have been said for years, haven't they? Mm-hmm. We've known for like 10, 20 years that strength training can help with your performance. Um, yeah, so fantastic. Um, what about, let me, let me, anything else you want to say about the book? Before um, I go on to... No, I mean, if there's any questions about it or anything, then uh, people are free to get get in touch. It's well worth a look. Let me have a look now because I always do this. I ignore some questions yeah. and then there's some great questions. I just saw one from, from Deborah, which is quite good. That was uh, oh, the osteoporosis. Yeah, weight bearing, uh, great for osteoporosis. My lady's 60 plus, say her weights. And uh, there's a good resource that 
uh, I found from Theros, so the uh, I think it's a Royal Orthopedic uh, Royal Osteoporosis Society, um, st- uh, strong, steady, straight, and they recommend that we need to for people with osteoporosis, we need to be weight bearing uh, with load. We need to include impact, and we need to include muscle strengthening. But people who are with osteoporosis who are fearful that their bones are uh, who've got lower density, they then they're the things that they don't want to do. Surely you don't want to put impact through a, a weak bone because it might break it. Um, but again, start off slow, gradually build it. Um, and that's how you build the density back into into bones. So um, yeah, definitely it's a, another misconception there of of people that tend to just stick to the swimming and, and, and things that have the lower impact. Mm. I'm sure if anyone can change them, Debbie, you can. So it's just a temporary fault in their lives that I'm sure you're going to correct. Um, Sammy Jack here. Mate. Sorry, Sammy, I can't open links here, but um, tell me what that's about, Sammy, when you hear this. There's a link there you put to a government initiative and you ask, what can we do as sports therapists to fit in with this initiative? Um, yeah, publications, sure musculoskeletal health, applying all our health, musculoskeletal health, applying all our health. Give us a bit of information on that, Sammy. Um, I don't think I've seen it myself, but maybe... Um, we can comment when we know what's it actually about. Fiona Higgs, welcome. Fiona, hope you're well. We've got something here saying it's hard yeah. to convince old adults that the gym is a good place to start. But sometimes groups are a great segue to begin with exercise and sweating. There's some really good group exercise training courses for frail older adults delivered by later life training and move it or lose it. Both evidence-based, you put some brackets, very nice. Um, they don't use strength and conditioning principle as much, but they're a nice stepping stone for people who have had a fall or fear falling. You can often find uh, funded places from local councillors like her in Northampton. Adherence is pretty good for group work because of the social element. Yeah, that's a good point, Fiona. Thanks for that. Um, do you find that encouraging a lot of your clients to actually get involved in group exercise of some form is a good way? Yeah, I'll just start by saying hi, Fiona. I used to work, Fiona used to work with Mike. Uh, or at Mike's of course, with us, yeah. So, uh, Fiona's yeah, been a guest well. on the podcast as well. Yeah. Wealth of information. I, I saw that, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I mean, I've started a, a class within with Mike and I've, due to the space in the clinic, I've, and with obviously COVID and restrictions at the moment, it's uh, about three or four in the class at the moment that are started, they started with me pre-COVID uh, and, and they've just come back. We started our, our first one last week um, and yeah, just working together and encouraging each other. And um, I think, I think especially now people are um, craving the community and and seeing each other and, and it, this isolation has been such a big issue for people um but i i'm well aware of move it or lose it and later life training as well and um yeah there's a lot of great things out there um i think there's a lot out there that are good for the not based on later life or move it or lose it but unfortunately i think a lot of over over 60s classes and classes for the elderly are great at getting people moving but again you see them with the the one kilo or half a kilo dumbbells and you ask them how long they've been using them for and they've never really progressed them and um it's a bit like with finding content for the blog if i look at stock photos and i try and find someone who's not in their their 20s or 30s to to find a photo of them with weights and uh yeah it's hard it's they're all just with very small weights or it's uh there's a definitely a big misconception out there do you find we've had a few guests now who've said that at the risk of generalizing sometimes what they're told by a GP doesn't necessarily help. Do you find when you work with clients that GPs have told them, oh, yeah, you shouldn't do that or not with your, I mean, there's a 
mean, there's a, something here from Becky who's just bringing it up as well. And she says, I have a patient with scoliosis. She was told by a doctor last week that people with scoliosis shouldn't lift weights. I'm not mm. surprised. I've got nothing against GPs, but there just seems to be a, a barrier there with lack of education or just kind of traditional thinking. Is that something you come across as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's certainly some that, uh, I mean, I, I know a, a fair number of GPs, my, my wife's a doctor, not a GP herself, but a lot of her friends and seeing what they've got to do in that, in the time frame they've got and the wide array of, of conditions that are going to come through to their, their door. And they've got what, five minutes to try and, get a get a history and, and make a recommendation is um and they've got so much to research that they're not going to be uh, kind of as the depth of knowledge isn't going to be there in in with certain areas um so yeah i hear that all the time that oh you shouldn't lift more than five kilograms or i had someone recently who was told for their knee pain just completely rest for six weeks don't do anything signed her off work for at least two of those weeks um and then you can start after that and you just starting after six weeks of doing nothing is going to be so much harder to get going again without causing another flare up and um and it's difficult and, and strength training doesn't have to look like strength training to start like i say before some people body weight is going to be challenging and you might even have to regress and find ways of offloading body weight or working through a shallow range of movement and um if someone is doing that and still hitting fatigue then it technically it's strength training for them so yeah it's i think there's a misconception about what strength or resistance training is as well which then gps will might might think of as yes i wouldn't load i wouldn't either load someone with uh 40 kilos on a on a bar if they'd recently just had an operation so they get told not to lift weights or not to do that but yeah they might be able to, to lift a lot lighter than that initially and then we can build up to that point so how would you like to see a definition of resistance training to kind of give it a more realistic um, meaning? I was listening to, uh, I think I said before we came on, um, Adam Meekin's latest episodes of uh, on the NAF uh, Physio podcast. And he looked at a study where they looked at strength training and it didn't, there was, at the end, it didn't have, the, the participants actually didn't increase in strength which there might have been a reason why strength training didn't show to have an impact on pain. But we're saying, well, if it didn't increase strength, was it a strength training program? Um, so I think, yeah, for strength training to be strength training, we really have to look at strength as an outcome of that exercise. Um, and then if you're looking back at the, the stuff we talked about earlier in terms of when you achieve the failure point, I think it's got to be close to closer to five, uh, five reps, but I think if you can hit, if resistance training, you're using some form of external resistance to achieve muscle fatigue within 15 repetitions, I think that's a very good starting point. Um, it can then be uh, more subtle changes from there. I guess people are scared of just hitting fatigue and some therapists are scared of taking their patients to fatigue. And that must just boil down to a lack of faith in the human body in its mm. robustness and the fact that the body will stop you before you something snaps generally there are exceptions if there's a systemic disease of some form obviously but in most cases an individual when they can't do any more it's because the nervous system has stopped them isn't it it's not because something's gone you know oh, but people don't have faith in their bodies it's a shame yeah a i had a good tip recently which i i kind of do sometimes but i'm going to start to do a bit more but on certain sessions is at the end of if i've got someone to do if we're working down towards 
rep. So because three sets of ten can still be good if the tenth one is is a fatigue point or close to fatigue point. Um, but at the end of the, th- the three sets, they do an additional set where they say this time just keep going until you can't do any more. And mm. some people actually get to 15, 20, and they felt that they could only do one or two more when they got to 10, but actually their body was well, well within its capabilities of doing another 10. So sometimes we have to actually get people to, to test their own bodies out because they often do more than they think they can do. Um, Definitely. And that's why in the big gyms with the muscle lads and ladies, they do work together down there. It's very and sawdust and kind of because they're sparring when they're spotting each other, they're egging each other on, aren't they? And Mm. helping that self-belief and lift. It's, um, it's not just all for show. Um, fantastic. Let me just have a quick flick through the questions here. Um, Sammy's come back with, um, yeah, that link was for a government initiative in the prevention of MSK conditions, such as osteoporosis in the community. Sounds good. As a sports therapist, how have you become involved in helping with this? That's probably something for Gary to look at. If there's anything involved with sports therapists getting involved with the community and government initiatives, then Gary will be on it. Um, it's a great question, Sammy. Yeah, I'm not aware of it. So thanks for putting the link in there. I'll have a look. Um, if we can get involved in that, then definitely. There you go. Over to you, Gary. Something for you to, else for you to do in your free time. Free time. Um, Fiona's come back as well and said, um, yes, they're definitely not the end goal. The biggest problem with most programs for older adults is that they are for a finite period of time too. No options for progression and the professionals running them don't know where to look. Um, yeah, good point. Um, what about, okay, as so I've been thinking this, let's imagine somebody who can't get up from a chair without assistance or help okay so they can't lift up their body weight for example from a sofa or something which is something that a lot of people want to be able to do especially if they need help or yeah how would you work with somebody i don't know if you already got people like that but how would you work with somebody who literally can't get themselves up from a chair and they'd love to be able to um initially i've i tried different height chairs and if someone can get up from a higher chair because often it is a depth that's a problem, whether that's pain or weakness, and they can't get up from. So if I can then go for a, a for a more shallow range of movement that they're able to achieve, and then you can start to load that with weights. Often they can do that part with weights. Then after the period of time when they started to become stronger, and again, you can still aim for that fatigue point in that shallow range of movement, is after a period of time, they then start to be able to go down to a, a slightly shallower or a deeper depth um so you can go down to a lower chair and then a bit lower and you can start to work in increments like that um there could be there's other ways of offloading the body weight so you might use say something like a trx system where you you can use the hands to to take some of the weight off uh you might work on the eccentric phase first where they they can use their hands to help them up but then they're just going to see how low they can go lowering till they fall back down to the chair uh, I say fall uh, until they sort of had that little flop down back down to the chair at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, use other ways of loading the quads resistance. So you could use resistance bands to work on knee extension, um, build strength that way. If in standing they can perform a hip hinge, you can start to load the sort of deadlift type motions and the hip hinge or the Romania deadlift type motions with more weight. So you can focus a bit more on the glutes rather than the quads. And then once they get the the confidence that they're actually lifting something heavy even if it's not in the sitting down motion or the squat motion that will then carry over into confidence of, of being able to do it from from uh, from different movement patterns um so it's just a few starting points there 
Yeah. More than a few. Fantastic. That was hoping for. So there's plenty of things you can play around there. And I guess all of that playing around with concentric and eccentric and different versions and regressions and progressions. And even isometrics sort of and time under tension and uh, and that side of it as well. Fantastic. That's great. And that's stuff people can pick up from, uh, well, when you've got your online course, it'll be from you. But until then, then even Claire or Andrew will put links mm-hmm. to that sort of thing. It is Often it's confidence for the therapist, isn't it? The, conf- the therapist has got to be confident to push that client mm-hmm. um, if they're really going to hope the client to have confidence as well. Because the client will suss if you're standing there going, yeah, just grab that weight. You'll be fine. You can tell, can't you? Mm-hmm. The therapist has got to learn to be confident in their client's body. Definitely. Because the last um, thing you want to do is cause a flare up, and and it does happen. And there's times you push a little bit too hard, and as long as they know that, and again, it's a whole other conversation of the 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 sort of pain not meaning damage, and just meaning we've created sensitivity, and and we've done a bit more than they can tolerate. And if you you gradually build it back up again, then it's uh, it, it's fine. But yeah, it's a, probably a, another in depth conversation that one. No, it's really valuable, isn't it? Pain education will get in everywhere. We were talking about um, Dr. Um, Rachel's offness, yeah, about the pain uh, episode we did. Mm. Um, yeah, a little bit of pain education is always going to come in. And sometimes with a therapist, just to understand how pain works before they can then pass that on to the client. Claire here's got a question. Um, let's have a little look. So Claire Hunter, hi, how are you doing? Says, with hip and knee replacements, how would you build a level of loading to fatigue, different fear factor involved? question claire um i'd pretty much still do it in the same similar fashion um just knowing that depending on how soon after the hip replacement and knee replacement that pain might be an issue uh with that or lack of range of movement in a, in a new knee replacement might limit some of the movements we can do but if a squat motion early on is too provocative for their pain then i would probably focus a bit more on the hip hinge type motions uh to start with under load but even before i was aware of the importance of pushing the intensity the movements i used to do as a newly qualified physio for hip and knee replacements were were still how do we get out the chair the sit and stand and and the kind of variations of hip hinge whether that might be a bridge on the on the bed or starting to to lift up so Again, it's something we've always been good at is regressing the exercise and getting them started, but we've not necessarily pushed them because we've been scared of of, of, of making things worse or just some of the misconceptions there. And yeah, I think as long as you're taking someone with a hip and knee replacement and gradually building them slowly and knowing that they may have, they're going to be more prone to uh, a reaction then that's fine. Again, I wouldn't just suddenly jump someone who's had one straight onto a, uh, a kind of a body weight squat or, or something along those lines. Um, so it's just slow progressions in the right direction. Mm, good question, Claire. I mean, I personally, when I've worked with people like in that population, part of the battle, particularly if you're, oh, well, regardless of who you are, is what they're going to hear from other professionals. Like a lot of these people just want to come in for a massage and you start trying to get them to do exercise and they're just like, oh, no, no, they're worried about it. I think it's going to do worse. They just think they need a massage. And and, and you know that if they go around the corner and walk into a different clinic, then they will mm. get what they wanted and they'll just get a massage and that person will tell them, oh, this is all you need. No, you don't do any strength exercise. That'll just flare it up. So it really is tricky. So as always, the skill that the therapist needs, as, as like when we had Mike, 
um, Mike Stewart on is is the ability to teach, isn't it? To educate, to mm. use the right language, to get confidence in that client that they can do it, and that maybe what they've heard elsewhere might not be the only way of doing things. Yeah. Just um, on that note as well, that um, you, I, I want to make it clear that I'm I'm not purely strength trained and not hands on at all, and the hands on side in terms of the pain relief can be valuable. Uh, I often can get someone to try and do uh, a particular movement, a squat or, or, or something they, they, they can't quite achieve. You do it a bit of hands-on, calm down the nervous system, get them to try it again and suddenly they can do it. And uh, yeah, it can be inc incorporated, but yeah, massage on its own may not bring about the, 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 the functional benefits we're after. Strength training on its own may not be able to achieve that it's it's working everything together like you say and it's uh, it's looking at the bigger picture and then it's the narratives that we give as we explain what's happening when we do that yeah really good point yeah it is a case and I've, yeah i'm glad you said that i mean it's really true the massage can help um, even just passive movements you know mm. just showing the patient what range they can reach having the security that look your knee does come up here we're doing a squat now it does work nothing snapped or broken now you try a little girl let's do it together that sort of thing yeah putting it all together who would have thought it was a multidisciplinary approach that would help the client <laughs> incredible good stuff um right it's getting to 8 59 now um so we are heading towards that time Catherine here has said let's look what Catherine said i love using a mix of explosive exercises and isolation moves to help them stop using one leg more than the other great it worked the use of explosive with elderly populations probably sends people into spasms, but mm. a lot of getting up from a chair is speed, isn't it? It's power. It's, it is an explosive movement. You need that, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And it's a good point uh, we've not talked about is, is it, again, I tend to bring it in slightly later on, but I try and get it in early as well is, is refer to it as that kind of rate of force development and, I think it was uh, Eric Muir is another big name in a course that I've done that was fantastic. And he talks about that ability to sort of catch your toe on a, on a rug and quickly get your foot back in front of you. It doesn't matter how strong you are. If you can only engage that strength slowly, you need the quick reaction and the ability to kind of bring in that strength at speed. So we need to practice that as well. Um, so bringing in some jumping type drills so whether it's just jumping off the floor or jumping forwards or jumping over something small or moving quickly as well as slowly is is, is really important um brilliant yeah good point right it sounds fascinating it sounds like um definitely let me just bring up that um ebook again because having looked through it again it's definitely worth checking out people listening to the podcast you can't see it but i'm just going to put this on solo so if you do go to never too old to lift.com um you'll see um in the uh top toolbar you'll see a link to it um, and it's the ebook and it's eight steps to create your first 12 week strength training program um and it's a very extensive loads of information which is patient friendly which is great and something which um i recommend I mean, it sounds like there's going to be a course coming out soon as well, which would be wonderful. Any idea on a timeline so. of that, Chris? Or I'd like to say within the next couple of months. So, uh... But you've got an 18 month year old, so nothing. <laughs> yeah, 16, yeah. He's fine, finally sleeping again now. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. I love that. I didn't say afterwards, I'd really love that um, analogy of, yeah, picking up a 
16th a month old and then picking up a 12k weight it's beautiful mm. when you put it in a different context you think oh yeah that dumbbell's not so scary now it's the same as yeah, yeah. really good or a full watering yeah. can or pushing a wheelbarrow yeah. Um, yeah yeah the gems brilliant okay oh look mike's come right at the end now chris there you go that's your mate there turning up right at the end <laughs> um not yeah. brian sorry that's the wrong one mike grice is in the house hey mike maybe he was just in the shadows kind of just watching <laughs> chat, chris. um Good to see you, Mike. Uh, Brian Huxley as well. People showing their appreciation as we talk. Um, fantastic, Chris. What have you got? Obviously, we don't know because you have got a young child. But have you got any particular goals apart from the um, online courses, things you're planning or hopefully happening? Um, nothing else at the moment, really. I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to get back to just in-person courses to, to other people so I can go and go and look at and uh i went i know i missed out on therapy live because i was uh i was working um the i think it was friday wasn't it mm, um yeah. just gone but uh when therapy expo starts again and and i just meet meeting other people is that, that isolation i'm lucky that i work in a clinic that is has got others in it but i'd like to kind of just network with others again and, uh, and see people it is nice we definitely need it don't we i was championing online consultations and there's still a massive place for online consultations mm. but the first time i actually did a few gait analysis face to face i was just checking for like itb syndrome or something and just palpating it was like oh wow, this is nice mm. holding yeah, another yeah. human being you could see on their face it was like mm. okay this is what i needed i needed a professional it's yeah it's wonderful we'll never get rid of that will we right dude um thank you so much for giving us your time um if people yeah, no want problem. to connect with you and um, what's the best way? Is it via the website or social media? Yeah, particular? either website or it's uh, on Facebook or Twitter. Are probably the ones that I use the most, Facebook the most, and then a little bit on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but I'm, I'm rubbish at it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And obviously, we'll keep, as always, this comment thread going. So people have got more questions. If they're watching the repeat here on Facebook or on YouTube, mm -hmm. then just stick something into the comments. And I'll let you know, Chris, if someone puts some questions in. Yeah, I'll keep um, an eye as well fantastic really kind of you right people um thank you very much for joining us as always uh what have we got next week and uh, let me just bring this up into the stream so next week we've got rob beaven do you follow bob do you know rob at all i've seen you conversing with rob uh i've not i know of him yeah and i see him on twitter <laughs> and a lot but i don't know him personally really good really good information they're putting out there in a friendly way so the back pain podcast another podcast naf podcast but it is a great podcast um and uh, rob uh, co-creator is going to be here next week um talking just about back pain and how things have changed and what how we can help clients things we've got to watch out for and how we've evolved um so obviously there's gonna be some fantastic information there for all of you guys so do join us for that and then the week after on the 29th of june to end june like i say we've got mike james coming up um and we're gonna have a nice big chat again about cpd how things have changed now we're allowed face to face again um and and all that so that's gonna be a really good end of the month but for now um on behalf of chris and myself um thanks so much for joining us um and we'll see you next tuesday thanks chris no thank you you're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.